hunters and anglers, they just want to be out there, right? They want to be out in the field doing what they love to do. And animal rights activists, you know, they're activists right they they can kind of focus on their their mission right and i think i think hunters can can walk and chew gum at the same time right like right. we we can be focused on what we love while also paying attention to the, the to the threat to to that thing that we talk to your friends about hunting and and tell them that you're a hunter you know especially if they're not hunters because i think that that can go a long way towards fighting against that propaganda when you're told by the animal rights activists that hunters are all, you know, unethical, irresponsible, Elmer Fudd, but you know that, you know, your friend is not like that at all. That's not the type of person he is. And he's explained to you that he hunts ethically, he harvests all of he eats the meat, and then like he serves you that meat at dinner. I think it's gonna, you know, that, that propaganda is gonna be much less effective if you know someone like that. Elections matter a lot. A governor can really change the makeup of one of these commissions in a very short amount of time. You know, we've been seeing it in Washington. Wisconsin, I think, is another example of this where, you know, commissioners, they are termed out or they just leave and they're replaced by someone who is not friendly to hunters and they kind of do whatever they can to, to limit our, our access, to limit seasons, to limit the number of species we can pursue. What's kind of fascinating about hunters as like a political group is that they're, they're maybe more diverse than any other like unified interest group in the country, right? Because there's lots of Democrats who hunt and there's lots of Democratic politicians who are very in favor of hunting and same with Republicans. And so I think it, it's especially important for hunters to do that research when they vote because it may not be the, the party line vote that, that you expect it to be. Hey guys, real quick before we get into this episode, I need you to do me a couple of favors. First, go give us a review on iTunes. I can't stress it enough. It's really, really important for me to help keep this free and to help me keep it going. Next, get involved with your hunting rights. Go join Howlful Wildlife. Super simple. It takes a couple minutes. You can even do the free membership. I don't care, but be involved. Lastly, I want you to do yourself a favor and up your shooting game and go get you some Phoenix shooting bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%. That's all I got for you. Let's get into this episode. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Punting Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Shooting Bags. Today, we're going to be talking to Jordan Sillers of uh, Meat Eater. Actually, Jordan's a writer and uh, and I believe the editor, managing editor. Did I get that right? That's right. Yep. Well, Jordan, why don't you give us a little rundown about yourself, real quick, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of get to the the subject at hand. Sure. Yeah, like you said, I'm a managing editor over at Meat Eater. The kind of main things I cover are firearms and conservation, and then when they let me, I like to write about American literature hunting stories, things like that. So I've, I've been over uh, at Meter. I started freelancing since uh, in 2020, and then I came on full-time uh, in April of last year. So I've been there uh, about a year. Didn't grow up doing a lot of hunting. Um, it wasn't something that I was really introduced to as, as a young kid. Uh, got into it a little bit later in life. But uh, yeah, I, I love it. Um, I'm down here in East Texas. So... I love the, the whitetail hunt, hog hunt, squirrel hunt, and then 
go after white bass uh, and hybrid bass, which are running actually right now up, up the creeks. So Sweet. a little bit about me. Awesome. So how old were you when you get started? Just curious. Yeah, I was, um, I had some, some friends growing up kind of high school ish around that age. And they, they really introduced me to, to the outdoors. So I, I had a friend who was in the boy Scouts and I was kind of an honorary member. <laughs> I, I never actually joined, but I would actually help them sometimes with like their Christmas tree sales, things like that. So he, he taught me a bit about camping, backpacking. Um, and then I had some other, some other friends, uh, and we would go fishing on the Shenandoah river, uh, camping on, on the islands kind of in the middle of the river. And so that's, that's kind of how I got started. So I got you on today because I read one of your articles and I was like, wow, this guy gets it. And, um, it was just really intriguing to me because a, a lot of what you're saying is a lot of what, um, we were trying to do, we've been trying to do at Howlful Wildlife and, uh, I kind of wanted to jump into this, uh, this article that you wrote. It, it, it's a really well titled article too, because it's like, it says exactly what, what is really going on inside the campaign to divorce hunters from wildlife policy, which is exactly what is going on right now. What is the anti-hunting campaign? Why don't you want to give me a little background as to why you jumped into this and then uh, we'll kind of pick it apart here. Sure. Yeah. So I think um, like a lot of people, this topic really came under my radar last year with the, the wildlife society conference where they gave this group that I talked quite a bit about in the article wildlife for all with them a, 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 a panel discussion basically, which, you know, at the time I thought, well, you know, these conferences, you know, they, they put out a call for uh, panel topics and people submit stuff and there's lots of stuff going on. But the more I kind of started looking into it, the more I realized that this is a, a, a pretty big campaign and it's been going on now for several years. People I spoke with for the article at the Congressional Sportsman Foundation, um, Backcountry Hunters and Anglers, you know, they said that they've been looking at this for at least five years now. And then, you know, the the wildlife policy, you know, the the state biologist, they've been also tracking it for quite a while. But but I think, you know, most kind of your average hunter, they really heard about it first last year um, with that conference. And so that's that's sort of where it started. I kept kept kind of keeping up with the topic, looking into it. And, and I, I thought it was a really important piece to, to put out there. Yeah. To your point that you, were, you just made that how we how we just found out we're always as hunters, especially, we're always being reactive and always finding out, you know, what, what the anti-hunting movement has been doing. And yeah. it's, it's always like, not that it's too late, but it's always later down the road. Um, yeah. When they've already established. And I think that's kind of, I know at Halfa Wildlife, we were, we've, really been trying to do not mimic their tactics necessarily but trying to do uh similar style things where they you know were were coming undetected ambushing you know mm -hmm. um and uh it's been effective yeah. but of course you know just like anything else they eventually catch on to that we're we're actually kind of seeing we're seeing a little bit of that now where they've caught on to 
when I say caught on, that makes it sound like it's nefarious, nefarious, but it's, it's, they've, they've wised up to how effective we've been and, and why we've been effective. So they're putting out propaganda to kind of like deplatform us a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, yeah, this, it's interesting. (laughs) To your point, I think uh, I was talking uh, about this with someone the other day and, and they made the point that hunters and anglers, they just want to be out there, right? They want to be out in the field doing what they love to do. And animal rights activists, you know, they're activists, right? They, they can kind of focus on their, their mission. Right. And I think, I think hunters can, can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? Like right. we, we can be focused on what we love while also paying attention to the, the to the threats to, to that thing that we Yeah. I mean, if we could put, the same effort that we put into learning how to call elk in or, uh, you know, being a better stalker of deer or whatever, or better bow shot, whatever the case may be into, or even, even 25% of that effort into directing policy and, and, and protecting rights and so on and so forth. Uh, we'd be way, 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 way further along than we are now. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a great, I think that's a great thing for, for someone to commit to, right? Like I'm going to practice my bow for an hour and every hour that I, that I do that, I'm going to dedicate 10 minutes to, you know, staying on top of these issues, to contacting my legislators. I think that, that would be a great thing for someone to, to do. I would like it if somebody just spent 10 minutes, period. Yeah. Don't even right. try to match it. If you spent, uh-huh. hell, to be honest with you, if they spend 10 minutes a year, doing it we'd still be better off than we are now but 10 minutes a week i would be i'd be ecstatic i think i think we'd we'd crush the we'd crush the opposition they wouldn't have a they wouldn't have a solution because their lies and propaganda only go so far you know if there's enough people out there speaking the truth there's enough people out there standing up for what we want you know the reason why they win so often is because they're better at it than us. They're better at the argument than us. They're better at you know, it's not because they have truth, science, integrity, or anything real concrete backing them. It's always about the fact that they're just show up <laughs> and we don't. Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. They they show up and I think they have an appeal to emotion that that hunters don't always have. Oh, right? yeah. Because they they can you know, thought out the the sympathetic kind of figure, char- character really of of the animal, and uh, you know, we can also say we help with habitat conservation, but you know, they, they can bring out the the suffering animal, and we can't really do that. Yeah, to your exactly to your point, you know, the the saying a, a picture is worth a thousand words. So think about social media and think about how society is now. We're so like do 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 do. We want to go like you can't even watch a video that's thirty seconds long. It's way like way too long. They have such an easier job than we do because they can literally post a picture, and that picture has their narrative already in it. Right? We it's hard for us to to do that. We we can't say in less than thirty seconds that we support. Uh, you know, we're the reason why wildlife is around. Where we we're the 
the main funders of conservation and that, but we can't go through all those points and we can't even yeah. show, but you know what we can do, we, we can do is we can start showing the human side of hunting, mm-hmm. humanizing it. Yeah. Not, not that we have to show you, not that we have to prove that it's humanized, but we have to show that it's not just about this. It's not just about that. It, and really show like what it means to us. Like yeah. it's part of the culture, part of our, our being part of, you know, I always tell people like I was born a hunter. Yes. My dad took me hunting, but guess what? My dad doesn't even hunt anymore. My dad gave up hunting 30 years ago because not that he has a problem with animals dying. He has a problem with being the person doing that. So he'd rather hunt them with his camera, mm-hmm. but he has no problem going to eat game meat or eating meat or whatever, you know? So like, it's not something that was like hammered into me from my dad. It's, it's just, I was born that way. Like I had a calling and I wanted to, to be there. Like that was, mm-hmm. so, you know, kind of showing those, those stories. And it's not just, you know, the, the white redneck from Iowa, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's not, it's, it's people from all walks of life, you know, mm-hmm. black people, Hispanic people, Asian people, like uh, there's just so many, so many different stories out there. And we don't tell those stories. We, yeah. we, we, we allow them to tell our story. We're Elmer Fudd, you know, yeah. we're right. the toothless guy drinking beer, running around in a pickup truck and willy nilly shooting shit. Like that's, yeah. that's the story that is put out there. And we allow right. that to happen. Cause we don't, you know, we don't do anything about it. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think, I, I think it, it helps to talking about that kind of that personal story to, you know, talk to your friends about hunting and, and tell them that you're a hunter, you know, especially if they're not hunters, because I think that that can go a long way towards fighting against that propaganda. When you you're told by the animal rights activists that hunters are all, you know, unethical, irresponsible Elmer Fudd, but you know that, you know, your friend is not like that at all. That's not the type of person he is. And he's explained to you that, you know, he, he hunts ethically, he harvests all, he eats the meat. And then like, he serves you that meat at dinner. I think it's going to, you know, that, that propaganda is going to be much less effective if you know someone like that. Um, Absolutely. And so not just thinking of our advocacy as to our representatives, but also to our, our friends and family, not in like a, you know, annoying way, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, but in kind of a natural, like everyday type of way. I think that's really important too. Absolutely. So let's lay lay out the uh, the field over here, the playing field of what is basically going on. What this movement is that they are the anti hunting establishment is uh, is starting to do here, or has been doing, I should say. Yeah. Right. So so this is kind of one one prong of their strategy, right? They they can introduce legislation that limits hunting. Um, you know, there are the ballot initiatives that limit hunting. This is another way that, that they're trying to go about this. And so I, I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar, but most states have a, a commission, a wildlife commission um, that is going to set uh, hunting and fishing regulations for that state. That's separate usually from their wildlife department, 
which kind of does all of the the day-to-day kind of scientific work. And so these commissions in many states, not all states, but in many states, they have a lot of power to regulate hunting and fishing. Mm -hmm. And so the, the strategy here is to influence these commissions to be less responsive to hunters and anglers. And so they do that in a, a couple different ways. One of those is to change the rules about who appoints commissioners. So if they feel like you know the governor of a state is going to be pro-hunting, they might introduce legislation that allows other bodies they feel are more friendly to them to appoint commissioners. Another way is to, to just kind of dictate the makeup of those commissions. So one bill in Maryland this year that I talk about in the article would require representatives from the wildlife preservation and passive wildlife recreation communities. AKA anti-hunting. Yeah, right. AKA anti-hunting. It would require two representatives, one from each of those communities on the wildlife board alongside, you know, representatives from, from, you know, hunters, landowners, agriculture, things like that. Um, but that's not currently the case, right? They don't have to appoint representatives from those communities under this bill. They would, yeah. But it um, does it does happen, as we're seeing in places like Washington. Yeah, exactly. Right? It does happen, and a lot depends on the the situation on the ground in your state, right? So if your governor is the sole person responsible for appointing commissioners, and they are friendly with the anti-hunting animal rights crowd, well, then they're going to appoint commissioners who, you know, are in line with that, those ideas. Another piece of this that I think is really important for, for people to take away is that elections matter a lot, right? Like oh, yeah. uh, a governor can really change the makeup of one of these commissions in a very short amount of time. You know, we've been seeing it in Washington, Wisconsin, I think is another example of this where, you know, commissioners, they are termed out or they just leave. And they're replaced by someone who is not friendly to hunters and they kind of do whatever they can to to limit our, our access, to limit seasons, to limit the number of species we can pursue. And so I think this is a, a thing that people really need to, to pay attention to. Yeah, and I think we're about to see that in a couple different states, actually. Colorado, I know for sure, is going to probably get some not hunter-friendly commissioners on their board from the new, you know, the new regime that's there. And... Um, you know, I, I saw, we saw a lot of this years back because uh, BHA was pushing it, you know, v- vote public lands. Obviously, public lands are very important and definitely not going to take away from public lands. We need public lands. Otherwise, we won't have opportunity. But I think you should vote hunting and fishing. <laughs> like, like yeah. Think about it from that standpoint, because if you vote hunting and fishing, you're voting public lands also. You got to be careful, like. And, you know, politics is so, I mean, it's so dirty. And the more and more I'm involved in just the hunting side of stuff, like the more and more I see of like stuff that I'm just like, oh my God, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. You just got to be, you got to be engaged and really look into, you know, it's so easy. Like I, I even found myself this year, you know, checking off the boxes on my, on my ballot or this year, whatever it was when they were doing the governal, I can't even say that word, uh, election here. And you almost like, as a tribe, you vote whatever side of the aisle you're on, you know, and 
instead of looking into each individual and what it is that they're proposing that they want to do. Now, mind you, they could always go back. I mean, look at our, our beautiful president. He is now uh, supporting the Willow Project, and he ran his campaign on, uh, you know, limiting uh, fossil fuels and, and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's politics, I guess. But <laughs> I, I, yeah. you, you got to just be more diligent, take more time, yeah. not just in the hunting world, but just in general. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and a, a couple of things there. I think your point about politicization, uh, and this this is also I briefly mentioned this in the piece, um, is that you know there's more than one way for one of these commissions to be politicized. It can be politicized towards the anti-hunting crowd. It can be politicized towards you know landowners, outfitters, whatever kind of your special interest group is. It can lean in favor of that. Um, and some of those are worse than others. I think that's kind of the the point that you're right. making. If it's leaning towards just anti-hunting, that is is the worst way that it can be politicized. But you know, you really have to pay attention to your state, kind of figure out if you're having any of these issues with your game commission. Right. And don't cut off your nose to spite your face just because yeah. you don't want. All right. For instance, like there was a thing in Utah, hunters were upset because big outfits had like five or six, you know, guides for one client and they passed this bill to limit it to one, one guide per client. And they did that because let's face it, they were upset, maybe even a little jealous that these bigger companies were, were, uh, getting all the big, quote-unquote trophy game it was an unfair thing but as soon as you start taking things away that are away from hunting you're opening up the door and as soon as you create a divide in hunters you're opening up the door for anti for something much worse mm. you know there was ways around that like you know i'm just i was grasping for an example but you know, maybe not the best example of that that particular situation, but what I mean is like, don't go against your fellow hunter and open up the door for anti-hunting. Mm. Is basically what I'm trying to say. I mean, in, in so many words. Yeah, yeah. So I, just I, think I, I, about your actions, I guess. Yeah, and I, and I think hunters. What's kind of fascinating about hunters as like a political group is that they're they're maybe more diverse than any other like unified interest group in the country, right? Because there's lots of Democrats who hunt and there's lots of democratic politicians who are very in favor of hunting and same with Republicans. And so I think it, it's especially important for hunters to do that research when they vote, because it may not be the, the party line vote that, that you expect it to be. Yeah. To, so your, that's, that's to your point, I think Pittman Robertson were both Democrats, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And then also the there's a push on both sides of the aisle now to take that funding away. Right. There's there's and this, I mentioned this in, in the piece briefly as yeah. well. There's uh, kind of on the right side of the aisle. Um, they don't like that guns and ammo are taxed. Um, you know, they Which see it as ridiculous. a second. Yeah, they see it as a, as a Second Amendment violation. And then on the left side of the aisle, they they want to divorce the, the outdoor kind of gear industry from conservation 
because yeah. they, they recognize that this is a, a really important kind of tool in our toolbox for making sure that we're getting the, the, the laws and policies that are, you know, oh, yeah. we'll, we'll preserve hunting and fishing. 100%. And I've been, I've been telling people that for years and I've been very outspoken against things like, and, and I'm probably going to get shit on for it, but like Rawa, stuff like that, stuff that, stuff mm-hmm. that doesn't come directly from the sportsman it's going to hurt us. It's going to take away our seat at the table. If you're giving a bigger seat to the public opinion at, at the wildlife conservation table, that is going to hurt. You're not going to get what you want. Like, I mean, I, I don't know how else to really describe it other than the fact that the biggest reason why we are around as a community is because, in plain words, is because of greed, right? In, in, in a sense. We come up with X amount of money as an industry, X amount of money to for conservation, but also in general. The more you chip away at that funding, okay, it always comes down to the almighty dollar, unfortunately, when it comes to politics. It's, it's always about money and power. If you take away funding or you find ways to replace that funding with other stuff that has a different interest or different opinion, then it's going to hurt your voice. It's going to hurt the voice of the sportsman. So it's important for us to not bitch about paying into stuff and be as involved in that user pay model as much as possible. Like, I don't know how else to put it, but that's... Yeah, it's a powerful tool. We get emails from hunters in Australia and they're dealing with stuff that's like, you know, hopefully not, but decades, well, maybe not decades, um, in, in our future where they're looking at, in some Australian states, they're looking at taking away bow hunting. And for the same reasons that they are talking about taking away trapping here. Right. It's cruel. It's inhumane. Uh, the animal suffers. Right. It's the same arguments. And so they're talking about taking away bow hunting. Waterfowl hunting is also something that, that they're looking at, at getting rid of in some parts of Australia. And like you say, I think a, a big part of this is that they don't have that really important conservation reason to push back on some of these things. They're not a very large part of the the population and so politicians feel like they can you know push these policies without any consequences i'd encourage people to look look at what's going on in australia as kind of a you know a, a cautionary tale and the the folks that that write into us they're encouraging us to do that you know they say look at what's happening over here i hope it doesn't happen to you guys over there right exactly the bill that's in maryland was it bill 188 I want to point this out. Actually, I want you to elaborate on it a little bit if you if you have a, a little bit of inside knowledge on it. But these bills that are being put out there, we kind of talked about it earlier, but these bills that are coming in like with this like sneaky, I'm pretty sure it's the one in in Maryland where like even hunters are supporting it. Is that am I correct or am I Yeah. Missing? Yeah, there's um Hunters of Maryland is a group that uh, put out a statement in support of this bill. Yeah, I, I have a quote there in the article, and then I link to that statement. So this is, I think, a, a really important point to make, and, it, and it's kind of a hard, a hard thing to parse out because this group, Wildlife for All, 
they want to kind of replace the current model with a model that follows the, the public trust doctrine, right? And the public trust is a part of the North American model of, of wildlife conservation. And, and a lot of hunters support this idea, I think, you know, rightly so, which is that wildlife is not owned by any one person, right? We're not medieval England where the landowner owns the animals on the land. The animals are owned by the public, right? Which is why landowners have to follow the same, you know, rules and regulations as everyone else because they don't, they don't own that wildlife. Right. Um, Wildlife for All takes that idea and kind of expands it out and then also uses it as a justification for what they want to do, which is mirroring the general population, mirroring wildlife commissions and the general population, right? So they want to match, they want non-consumptive, what they call non-consumptive users to have a representation on those commissions in ratio to the general population. Right. Well, hunters make up now like 5%, and it depends on the state, obviously, but 5% of the general population. So, in other words, they want hunters to be represent 5% of commissions to be represented by hunters. Right. It's like for most commissions, it's like half a person is, is what they would want. And they, they justify that by this, what, what they're calling the, the public trust doctrine, which is wildlife is for everyone. And so we want this to be democratic. We want it to mirror the general population. I think sometimes hunters, they hear public trust and then they think, oh yeah, wildlife is for everyone, not right. just for hunters, for everyone. And so they say, great, this is, this is fine. This is, this is something that we can sign on to. And you can kind of see that in the statement from, from Hunters of Maryland, where they say, you know, wildlife belongs to no one person. Wildlife belongs to the citizenry. Diverse individuals, groups, and organizations who want a broader advisory voice in how Maryland's CNR manages wildlife is a good thing and should be afforded every opportunity. Right. So I think that's something that hunters, you know, a, a lot of hunters would say, yeah, that seems reasonable to me. But there's a kind of a deeper, more insidious goal. Yeah. They're kind of using the they're using the public trust doctrine as a kind of Trojan horse to push really like the article says, divorcing hunters from wildlife policy. Right. Yeah. That's kind of been the other side's tactic for a very long time is this, um, I guess, Trojan horse, if you will. They, they, it's not, and they even do it with their, like when they're taking polls and stuff like that, they'll put stuff out that, that no human being would, disagree with it seems very reasonable until you really look into what they're saying like for instance like i I brought this up several times and they put out a poll for bear hunting and they'll say that 100 percent of all people that took this poll or 90 percent of all people took this poll agree and they'll say something like do you support killing a bear taking its head and leaving the meat do you support killing cubs? You know, and and all these things, and then they like they paint this picture of mm-hmm. something that is not the truth, right? Of course, you're going to be like, no, hell no, I don't want, you know, I don't believe in that. I don't, I don't believe that you should go out there and just kill a bunch of cubs. I don't, you know, I don't like those are the kind of ways that they do things, and it's the same way with these bills. They like put stuff that's seemingly 
looks attractive to well looks definitely looks attractive to the to the main public but even looks attractive to some hunters and yeah that's why that's why we continue to lose the battle again it goes back to what we started off talking about earlier is spending time to look into these things and that's hard yeah. that's hard to say because hell man i'm in this and i have a hard time really looking into bills like most of the time i'm skimming over stuff because there's so much to look at but yeah it's, it, it's tough and i think that that's why you know groups like yours our sportsmen's groups are so important because they do a lot of that work for us. They're keeping track of these bills in your state. They're reading the bills and they're summarizing the bills in a way that makes sense. Right. Cause, cause you know, I run into this all the time in my work as a writer and a journalist, you're looking into this bill, you open it up and it's, you know, 35 pages <laughs> and you yeah. think, Oh my goodness, you know, I don't have time for this. Yeah. And I do it as, you know, for my job, if you have a job and you're just doing this on the side, it's really difficult. So being involved in your state outdoor group, really important and, and something that I encourage everyone and, you know, just join them all. Right. <laughs> like, right. They'll, they'll all give you, give you good information um, and, and help you get involved. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, I know I can't speak for the other orgs, but I know how for wildlife we've, done everything possible to make it as easy as possible for you to get involved in stuff like that like we're really uh i love the way of uh, a friend of ours travis uh thompson put it we're, we're putting the cookies on the on the bottom shelf you know um and it's uh and still, you know, it's still uh, trying to get people to get involved in something that literally takes the way we've done it. I mean, it takes 30 seconds, 30 mm -hmm. seconds. And it takes maybe two minutes if you really want to read through the whole thing. And but the actual action takes 15, 15 to 30 seconds maximum, maximum. Yeah. But, you know. Again, that's that's saying, hey, here, trust me, trust what I'm doing. But I, we want you to read it. We want you to be, educate yourself. We want you to. I don't want you to just even use our pre-filled emails. I would rather people who are getting involved delete that, put their own words in there after reading it, and send their own message. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the very least, you know, if you need the cookies on the low shelf, it's there for you. Yeah. So. Yeah, and it's and it's also, it's not like contacting your U.S. congressman, right? Like, you can call them, you can email them, and that's important. But they're getting, you know, thousands of of those things a month. Right. With your state legislators, they don't get contacted nearly as much, and so your call, especially your call, but even your email, can have a, a pretty big impact if it's you know well reasoned, well articulated. If you are one of their voters, right? That's that's key. You you can really sway their opinion on on a, a topic if they're not you know an ideologue already. And so I, I think people should know that as well to kind of be encouraged to you know this will make a difference um, if you just take the time to do it. Okay. Yeah. Basically, we've seen a tremendous response in what 
what you just said, like just showing up, just sending emails, just making a phone call. We've had so many different uh, entities from the game for commission to senators to whatever tell us that we've never seen the hunting community get involved. It's yeah. always been anti-hunting. So that involvement is is huge and it could have such a huge impact. We're doing what we're doing now with, I think, less than 30,000 people. And in, it, in all honesty, it's not even 30,000 people on every single every single action we're probably dealing with 3000 to 5000 maximum yeah. on each thing so if i looked at the hunting just a hunting community okay they say 15 to 18 18 million people hunt let's take 15 million if i took 10% of that and 10% of that was engaged on every single bill that you know we're we're facing. I don't think there would be a single politician or game commission or whatever that would really continue on supporting whatever it is that we were opposing. Or, in fact, the the ones that we do support, I think they would definitely do it because it's like that's so much more, like twenty times more <laughs> the, the 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 pressure from from yeah. from us to do what we want you know and i i don't know how much how many times i got to beat the dead horse to to tell people that but it's uh yeah. it's a very powerful thing you know yeah and it can and this didn't make it in the piece but joe mullen at the congressional sportsman's foundation he pointed out to me that we've been pretty successful so far in knocking down these bills mm -hmm. right like they're they're popping up and they're popping up you know kind of more every year but there hasn't been governors have uh changed the makeup of these commissions with new appointments but i'm not aware of any like bill in a legislature that's gotten through that's like really just transformed the commission along the lines that wildlife for all would like to see. I'm sure some have have passed that have you know made some changes, but we have been successful in knocking down these bills. So that should also encourage people to get involved because you know we we've done a pretty good job so far, and, and we need to to keep it up. Yeah, but they're always ramping stuff up. So and and, and that just goes that goes for any argument. You you bring something to this level, they bring it up to the next level. You bring it up to this. So it's not like you can, you can't sit back on your hawks. You can't be like, oh, cool. We, we've been successful. Let's keep doing, you know, keep it at this level. We have to like, we have to get to a point where we make them irrelevant. Yeah. You know, so, but uh, anyway, I think, um, I think I got everything I uh, I wanted to talk to you about on here. There was something else that I can't remember. Oh, I actually found out that this this bill probably is going to die. But they were is the uh, there was a bill in New Mexico. They're basically trying the same tactics, and New Mexico has a very anti hunting friendly landscape in in politics over there right now. Yeah, I think that's it.
you got anything else you want to add? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I think just to, to reiterate this idea that as hunters, you know, we need to be involved and that can take a lot of different forms. I like what Ryan Callahan said. Uh, he, I was talking with him about this and I, I included a quote from him at the end of the article. Mm -hmm. And he points out that the, the tags that we buy, they don't always represent a dead animal, right? He has tons of tags that he's never notched and all that money has gone towards habitat and that habitat benefits not only you know whitetail mule deer elk bears but a host of other animals too and so making sure people understand that and have heard those stories is is really important right you know but the problem with that is that just like right now you and I are preaching to the choir. We're talking to hunters. We're not talking yeah. to them. So it goes back to what you were saying earlier is having those nuanced conversations, those subtle conversations with the non-hunter. I don't want you to argue with anti-hunting because you're not you're not going to win. Uh, yeah. And nothing good is going to come about that. But you can combat anti-hunting by putting out the truth to those in the middle. So I think that's super important. And with that, I am going to bring this to a close. So I don't keep beating the same thing over and over and over again. I think we got the point across, hopefully. Um, where can uh, our listeners find out uh, more about you? My work is at TheMeatEater.com. I'm publishing there, you know, pretty frequently. And then also on Instagram, Jordan.Sillers. That's really my only active social media <laughs> at this point. But yeah, I'd, I'd love to hear from folks. Awesome. Thank you very much. And thanks for coming on. And we'll talk to you soon. Sure. Absolutely. Thanks. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks for checking out the show. Really appreciate you. Keep those reviews and those comments coming. Helps us keep this free. Do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word. And check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.